Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, so we're joined here today by Bruce Reza. Bruce, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, sure, Dave. So I, um, I'm actually a, originally a farm kid from Western Missouri, uh, and uh, uh, throughout much of my career uh, was spent in the technology industry, primarily with IBM and, and roles like product management. I actually started my career there in uh, St. Louis, where you're based, uh, and then uh, uh, had a deep agriculture background growing up and about five years ago, I wanted to combine those two together. We started a, a venture uh, known classically as the category of agriculture technology or ag tech. It's a, a digital uh, data startup uh, that does uh, voice capture of record keeping. And so basically, we empower food and agriculture workers to capture their insights and perform analytics while on the go. So that's kind of the overall approach and focus of our, uh, our startup. That's awesome. So I'm so excited for this conversation. I, uh, for the listeners out there, I met Bruce a couple of years ago at one of the different voice conferences that I attend. And, um, you know, I think what's so interesting about Ag Voice, his company here, uh, is that, you know, I think what tends to happen, particularly with the general public, who's not, um, you know, really like obviously really thinking about this type of stuff. They think uh, Alexa, they think, uh, you know, Google Assistant, Siri, they think they're these consumer applications and and it's cut and dry, right? And I think that um, what's so cool as I've learned more and more about uh, the voice space and, and different companies that are approaching this space is that it goes way beyond the consumer applications. And honestly, I think that some of the most interesting things are happening in these non-consumer applications um, and in these areas of, of focus. So whether it be in healthcare or education or industrial settings, or as we're going to talk about today, agriculture, there are so many different ways in which we can create efficiencies, um, you know, particularly for, uh, you know, not only one of the oldest professions known to man, um, but for uh, a lot of different people that are sort of working um, with archaic methods, you know, and there's a lot of different reasons that we'll get into why that is. And I think that we're sort of at the cusp of why this is beginning to change. Um, But I just think it's cool that, you know, Bruce, he's got this background of agriculture. He's, you know, a small town farm kid from Missouri. And, uh, you know, he's got that domain expertise, but he also has all the technical expertise from, um, you know, working within the computer industry like he has. So I think this kind of marriage between the two is super interesting is sort of the backbone of, of you know, where this uh, idea is sort of formulated. Um, so I wanted to really get into this whole thing. Uh, so why don't we just start with a little bit of an overview of how Ag Voice actually works and, you know, a little bit of an idea of like how this thing sort of came to be. Uh, sure. So, uh, Dave, the way to think about it, I mean, so the, it's a fascinating space because it, it seems it, uh, everyone is interested in voice. Everyone's willing to try it and trial it. Um, but um, we really, here, here's how it got sparked, okay? Mm-hmm. So about five years ago, uh, many people might remember that uh, Google did a public competition uh, for smart glasses. And they primarily aimed it, you know, vast majority of it at the consumer market. 
but when I saw the, the device and first learned about it as a possible successor, initially a compliment, but possible successor to the smartphone itself, um, I was really intrigued that it could be a, a very useful, very practical, everyday, hands-on tool to help people collect data, say, in, in, for example, in any industrial use case. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that intuitively because of my background growing up on a farm, my family still farms in, in total, like my uh, father, brother, kind of uncles and cousins farm about 10,000 acres uh, in Western Missouri. Um, uncles and aunts also have a, an apple orchard of, of 40,000 apple trees. So I really grew up in a really neat, fascinating, rich, uh, diverse environment for, for agriculture uh, work. And the short version is those are, <laughs> those are hands-on intense jobs. So when a hands-free tool came along, I was interested to try it out. So the, the specific origin story was I threw my name in the ring uh, and uh, I, I, you know, Google did a public competition and said, what would you do if you had this device? And I said, well, if I had glass, I would uh, help uh, farmers or growers connect with consumers and mm -hmm. show how their food is grown in a safe and environmentally responsible way. So effectively a type of communications platform uh, to allow the, the world of agriculture to connect with the world of consumers, which usually has a lot of, a lot of differences or a lot of misunderstandings. And the simple version is I was, I was fortunate, I was selected um, and um, went through the list of the, the 8,000 people selected and only five of them even mentioned the word agriculture. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew, okay, I've got this device. It has an intriguing possibility. Let's go test it. And so I actually, I got the, I got the device in Los Angeles. I flew to Kansas City, Missouri, and I went and tested it with farmers the next day. So the first place in the world, the smart glasses were tested in the, in the food production sector anyway, at least the general purpose, you know, mass device. Um, like Google's device was in Western Missouri. Cool. My family's farm. That's so cool. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's super interesting. And you mentioned something there, you know, hands busy, labor intensive, right? Like that's where I think that this is where it really caught my attention is mm -hmm. this, this notion that, you know, you think about that type of job, right? If you're a grower, you're a farmer, um, more times than not, I would imagine that you're doing things that are really preoccupying yourself. But I think that like, as I've learned a little bit about your product, um, it, it really allows for them to continue to do the job that they're doing, but also sort of take care of a lot of the different, um, like almost like clerical work, right? Like this is what I did today. These were the amount of bush bushels of apples that I picked. Here was the ripeness, you know, kind of going like one by one. Um, and you can do this all on the go. And I, and I just think that's so interesting because clearly as you know, I, I would imagine that w the type of feedback that you've gotten is like, this is a really positive thing because it allows me to do my job just way more efficiently than I had been doing it. Can, can you speak a little bit to that idea of like how this tool serves that type of professional? Uh, sure. Um, so a couple examples real quick. And in that, you know, uh, toying with the device and I, my whole goal was to put that pair of smart glasses in uh, a lot of people's hands, which I, I got to meet with about 800 people over the course of a year. Uh, uh, people were from actually slightly more than 20 different countries. So I got very diverse input. And Dave, two things came out loud and clear. One was there was this screaming need for a hands-free device, right? And it's exactly what you said. It was people already with a hands-on job, sometimes a full professional job, not just if you will, a blue collar, but all of them have an escalating need to capture information as they're doing their job and they don't want to stop their work. Doesn't sound like a big deal to many people staying in an office, but this, it, this stops 10, 20, or 30% of their day, right, to do this record keeping, which is really not, frankly, their, usually their talent or their passion. 
But the, the, uh, the second thing that came out in their search was the voice recognition absolutely sucked, mm-hmm. right? So these people have specialized, dedicated jobs. They're people like veterinarians, uh, plant scientists, uh, agronomists, um, machinery inspectors for, say, repair or support. And they have very specific jobs. Basically, they have a very specific vocabulary or dictionary or lexicon, if you will, of things they need to do their reports. And pretty simple, if you, if anyone probably listening to this has tried anything with a general purpose service, uh, optimized for consumers, um, be it Siri, it could be Google at times, Alexa, Cortana, um, usually those things really um, are not optimized at all for specific industrial use cases. Yeah, okay. Um, The second thing, Dave, is I had observed what has happened very, very successfully in the healthcare sector. So the quick kind of analogy there is, is we're mostly, you know, somewhat, you know, uh, similar idea, but like in the healthcare sector, just one company alone uh, called Nuance, I think they've done a brilliant job, you know, kind of from a distance. I think last I understood, they have about 500,000 uh, users that are mm-hmm. doctors, nurses, health practitioners doing this thing you're talking about, doing voice capture against healthcare records. So the big benefit to them is a reduction in this, this overwhelming, painful, you know, record keeping piece. It's so critical. It's mandatory. Yeah. But it, it's a major, quantified as a major source of overwhelm and burnout for physicians yep. and other people in healthcare. Um, and the second thing is, frankly, they're taking their eyes off the patient. Yeah. So just literally at a personal human level for us to talk and communicate is so critical. If someone's hurting and wants to be fully understood, Typically, no one tells us they want to see the doctor typing on a computer for five minutes and they left. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, a little bit about the pain. We'd seen some other health, uh, industries, healthcare, also the logistics sector. It was going to be Vocal Act. I think it's now part of Honeywell that, that used voice for the same thing, hands-free information capture you know, while they do their job. So we'd seen some role models and said, hey, could this be done in the global food sector? Uh, you said a couple things there that really caught my attention. So first of all, you mentioned nuance, right? And you have uh, this super specific domain. And I think this is really important here is that, um, you know, like kind of like to what you're building, and I'd like for you to speak to this, um, this idea that you're creating lexicons of all the different types of vocabulary, um, jargon, you know, all the different things that these types of, all the different types of, uh, you know, agriculture workers would be using. So I know that we used, um, when we were talking beforehand, you had used the example of, you know, if I'm working um, in St. Louis, for example, we have a grocer here named Deerberg's. Um, if I'm the buyer, uh, I might be, you know, I might refer to the mold on a strawberry as uh, gray mold, whereas the you know the actual buyer, the grower for Driscoll's, who's supplying that, refers to it by its actual uh, sort of like Latin medical name. Um, so can you like? But 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 the beauty of this is that regardless of the two, your system sort of um, it allows for those two to be captured, and it it, it uh, understands that there is a similar or a. Uh, affiliation between the two. So it links the two. It knows that it, you're basically capturing that same data point. And I think this is really critical to understand about kind of the biggest challenge to this whole thing is you got to both create a system that's much more um, 
deep, like you mentioned, like Alexa, for example, while it's extremely wide, it doesn't really go very deep in terms of the lexicons and such. So can you speak a little bit about this fact and this notion that what you're building is extremely, you know, from a vertical standpoint, it goes really deep, uh, specific to the particular domain that you're building for? Uh, sure. So let me build on the scenario you just mentioned. So it's, uh, by the way, Deerberg's is a fantastic grocer. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're in St. Louis. Um, and say they are working yeah, with a fruit supplier, uh, like the example you mentioned. In that particular case, yeah, a lay person could be a farmer, could be a consumer, could be a person doing an inspection in the store would see something. Say it was a little bit of mold on a strawberry that had been there for some days. It's called gray mold, right, mm-hmm. eventually. But the scientific name is Botrytis scenario. That would be the term, just as you, you know, mentioned there, that say the agronomist or the plant breeders uh, further up the, 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 the stream breeding new future varieties would actually use. Yeah. We actually recognize both those terms, uh, can rectify them because they're, they're synonyms of each other. But that's really, really important to your point because basically <laughs> the food production system and the way we speak and the language you use is highly, highly fragmented. Uh, there hasn't been a standardization effort around language that we know of broadly, like there has been, say, in healthcare. And that's one of the things we're pioneering. That's why we are so uh, interested uh, to work with, you know, great ecosystems, regions, and networks that are really, really deep in plant science and or like animal health, in the case of the Kansas City uh, Animal Health um, Corridor, uh, and things like that, because they're the deep experts that we empower to do their jobs better. And so to break it down at a very, very functional level, you, you might read the popular press and say, oh, just use AI or this mm. artificial intelligence thing. Well, that's really neat, but all you need is, a, tr- as you well know, a very, very, very large amount of data. It needs to be consistent. Uh, the, you know, the running joke from what the Silicon Valley show was hot dog or not hot dog. <laughs> and, 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 and you just train it on that and then it knows what to do. Well, that's great. And we leverage that as a component. However, we then have to, we then marry it with a super specific domain, like in your case, using example strawberries. In addition to that, things often still aren't perfect. We design the entire system with what's called the human in the loop. So the user always has power to correct, verify, and check on the spot, you know, in the moment. And that's the magical combination of, of things that pulls all together that we get to high 90s or even 100% source verified accuracy uh, with the human. So that's pretty magical to us and our, to our users because for 60 years, speech record has never been that good. On yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a big, you know, if you kind of look back on like the last like four or five years, like why this new sudden emergence of these types of technologies, I think so much of it comes down to the advancements in NLP. And uh, so, it, you know, and just like the accuracy of the way in which these things can detect um, what you're saying. And so that, that makes so much sense to me. But I think another big facet of this that I want to ask you about is uh probably what has been the biggest barrier to date, um, you know, going back to what I said earlier, you know, a lot of these different um, agriculture professionals are, uh, they've sort of been using, uh, you know, we might think of them as like archaic methods, but a big reason behind that is because so many of them don't have an internet connection. And so I wanted to speak a little bit about, A, can you give us a sense of what that big picture looks like in terms of, you know, how many actually have uh, internet access? And then, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about, you know, what you're enabling with the edge, you know, for 
current day and, and how you can use the edge to alleviate some of these things. But even broader, you had mentioned some really cool things that were going on, you know, particularly around SpaceX and some of the conversations that you've had with them. Um, so I'm going to let you kind of share with us uh, this whole piece around the connectivity aspect of, of this whole thing, because I think particularly when it comes to uh, farmers and just different agriculturists, um, the limitation of internet connectivity has been the root of a lot of issues, uh, you know, initially here. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite areas um, because some people, you know, look at us cross-eyed when we, when we come in and have this idea, they're like, <laughs> look, you're, you're like farmers, you know, agriculture, voice reco, voice doesn't work that good. What, why, why are you at this intersection? Um, what, what are you trying to do? Or, or what's, why would this, why, why could this um, be useful, practical for individual people, but also help a lot of people in, in mass or at scale? And so mm -hmm. connectivity is, has been one of the absolute limiters, right? Mm -hmm. So Dave, you're on a real hot button. So uh, an overview of things. I, I'm going to use a couple big macro numbers, but I'll give everybody an idea of just how vast this sector is and how fragmented it is. Perfect. And also fascinates us is there's basically no platform or horizontal across the industry. We know mm -hmm. of one startup in Africa. They're awesome. They have about 2 million users, but that's the biggest single company we know of currently in the world as far as, you know, digital enabling tech. So a couple big picture things and they're big. Um, so agriculture has been around about 6,000 years. Okay. Today, agriculture covers as far as land mass it actually covers about 10 billion acres on the earth okay mm -hmm. i told you they were nuts of those 10 billion acres about four of those are arable or what's you know farmable tillable land and the other six billion are pasture land so there's a lot of animals and cows and dairy and so forth in the world um, but what also caught our attention was the fact that the number of people in the sector alone is unbelievable um, once you kind of add it up. So let me use some you know, external numbers. So there's a group that we follow uh, called Emergence Capital out of Silicon Valley, and they invest only in kind of uh, enterprise and SaaS-related types of companies. They were our first investor in Salesforce and things like that. So they have a very dedicated focus to this kind of category. And they recently quantified um, that the total number of what they've called deskless workers, but a different term they use that I prefer is first line workers, mm -hmm. is 2.8 billion adult workers on the earth. Wow. Within those 2.8 billion of the eight sectors, guess what? The largest one, 31% of those are in food and agriculture production, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this vast number often estimated at more than 550 million smallholder farmers around the world. Those people widely are known to produce 83% of all the food on the planet. Wow. So it's not an overstatement to say all the rest of us are dependent on what they do every day, right? Totally, no surprise yep. there in every, every country. So that's the setup. Dave, let's go to the problem. Problem is literally half these people do not have connectivity today, right? Yeah. So there's a fascinating array of different options coming on the horizon. We're on a um, make a lot of friends strategy. Uh, we don't think just one will win, but let's just break down a few of them real quick. Okay, the first thing we do is, and this was hard, our service runs on device or on the edge, as it's known, meaning it runs on the smartphone or the tablet with no internet connectivity. And that was pretty hard, okay? But <laughs> to your exact point, the evolution of just the last three or four years has made that possible with our hyper-narrow focus um, and our you know specific focus with these users, we've delivered that with, with now high accuracy. And that really lights up users. And the reason is, let's get to the specifics. This is true in 
agriculture, construction, logistics, warehousing, you know, any type of in inspector role, if you will, oil and gas. The types of workers here is they need to collect information, often for legal or regulatory reasons, by the way, just let's go to the driver. In food and agriculture, every medicine administered to an animal in the United States and every chemical uh, administered to plants must be tracked by law, right? That's for food safety and regulatory reasons, all good reasons, um, but it can be onerous uh, to collect. Um, but the challenge is, let's just say, let's say you're one of these agronomists and you're traveling around the Midwest. Often have, these people often have pretty vast territory. About 10 or 15% of the time though, you have no internet connectivity, slow or intermittent internet connectivity, expensive connectivity, and you don't know when that's gonna hit. Mm -hmm. So the, the net of it is, is an inspector, you wouldn't have the confidence to know, okay, this service is gonna be here for me through thick and through thin, right? Totally, yeah. So that's the foundational piece, kind of like a self-driving car has. Uh, we have a an on-edge implementation, and that's uh, awesome. That's our starting point. From there, now, <laughs> that was the setup to your point of what are, the, are there pieces of connectivity that could enable and enhance that? And so quickly, there would be things at like a TV white space level, mm -hmm. uh, like Microsoft is pioneering with uh, FarmBeats. We've been super impressed with. Uh, it's low cost, affordable, leverages a unique un, un, uh, untapped spectrum. You know, the next level up, obviously, there's the classic uh, cell phone carriers. They continue to build out things. They're really excited about 5G, and I think it's got great potential. But that's going to take some time uh, specifically to reach out to those, those rural areas that usually are, again, in some cases, never served uh, or, or underserved. And then the final one that really um, has lit me up, uh, obviously, is, is what's happening with satellites, satellite mm -hmm. data transmission. Basically, it's been tried for 20 plus years, uh, had fits and starts, had economic challenges and so forth along the way. But there's a new rash of bold entrepreneurs, someone with a truckload of money that are building out what's called a low earth orbit array of satellites. And the quick version there I want to share with you, Dave, is last spring, I had a unique opportunity to briefly speak with uh, Kimball Musk. And not a lot of people know Kimball, he, but he's, his brother's Elon. A fair number of people know Elon. Um, but, but they were together actually at PayPal. They've both been super successful in their own ways. But, but Kimball uh, went off and, and still is involved in leading four or five really unique pioneering food and agriculture technology companies. Mm -hmm. He's also on the board of SpaceX, which recently got, if I saw it right, raised a $1 billion dollars to build out, I think, up to 60,000 satellites in the low Earth orbit over the next five years. And so, again, he's got this food background, really deep, great key leader in indoor agriculture, uh, plus this, this connection emerging. So I, so I only had one big question for him, and that was, okay, you're at a fascinating vantage point. What do you envision might be the, the possibilities for these vast array of smallholder farmers. Again, some of them basically don't have their first computer. Their first computer is going to be a, an Android smartphone in the mm -hmm. next three to five years. And the potential for food and agriculture information uh, collection, right? What, what, would, what would that intersection look like to you? And his answer, I remember very clearly, he said, we are going to deliver 5G level speeds to every square inch of the earth. Okay. So I don't know about you, but like, the, the Musk brothers to me are kind of like a modern day uh, Orville and Wilbur, uh, yeah. the Wright brothers, right? Yeah. So if they say they're going to do it, they're probably going to do it or die trying, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I think they're going to do it. Yeah, I do too. So, so this gets pretty wild, right? All of a sudden you go, this is a really big, large worker segment. Yep. They have, by the way, they're highly sensitive to data needs, data interests, privacy and security, right? 
Um, they're not just going to take any old social media, you know, policies, if you will, the consumer things and just accept those is what we're seeing. Logically, they've got their own interest, their own business, and they're going to be getting connectivity for the first time. Um, and we think that's going to happen in mass. And we think we can, you know, serve a really big underserved market. So that's, and there's a lot there, but that's kind of how it all comes together. I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it right now. I mean, it's so cool. Like you see these wildly ambitious entrepreneurs that are really privatizing space. Like I'm a huge space fan. Like I think that all the stuff that SpaceX is doing is incredibly inspiring. And, you know, so one of the big, I think, initial things that they're doing is this whole Starlink initiative. I think they're, <laughs> I've read that they might even spin it off and IPO it as a public company. That's right publicly traded company so that people could actually kind of have a piece of SpaceX. But I think that, you know, what you kind of think like, okay, well, what are, you know, cause we've heard like Google and Facebook, like all these different companies, how we're going to connect the world, you know, they're, we're going to bring everybody else online. And, and, and so for me, like, I know personally, I've thought about like, well, what does that actually entail? And it's so fascinating talking with you because what that entails is that our, you know, the 50% of these uh, agriculture workers might suddenly have 5G level internet. And like, that is so dramatically game changing that, you know, it, it totally enables extremely cool applications like what you guys are building. So this is, in my opinion, like right time, right place, right time. And, and you guys are totally at the forefront of how we can really help to um, make these farmers lives way more efficient, you know, and just hopefully create, um, you know, a, a higher level of output for them. And mm -hmm. so uh, you sent me a couple clips before of actual uses of this. So I'm going to play these clips so that everybody can get a little bit of a better sense of how this system actually works. So I'm now going to play a couple clips here. 13, 15. 13, 15. Body condition's good. Three. Body condition, three. Hygiene's good. One. Hygiene, one. Locomotion. Sound, so one. Locomotion, one. Hocks and knees, one. Good. Hock knee, one. Colonel color is a nine. Colonel color, nine. Colonel style is a nine. Colonel style, nine. Sweetness is a six. Sweetness, six. And tenderness is an eight. Pericarp, eight. On the AgVoice portal, evaluations are listed by date and can be downloaded as spreadsheets formatted for each trial. AgVoice Midday Report. Yesterday's milk production up to 92 pounds. Butterfat at 3.5%. Hertzman reports five cows in sick pen. Note, agronomist completed sweet corn scouting. Any disease? Disease. Stewards will found in 7% of the crop, 2% below University Extension Regional Average. So freaking cool, right? I mean, I think that this is, it's so cool to like hear this. And I'm curious, like from you, Bruce, what, what have been like, because you've been on the ground, you know, you've been at the forefront of this. What has been some of the most memorable reactions that stand out to you? Um, all right, good question. So, so one of my, our very favorite, um, you know, early users um, was a, is a sweet corn inspector right? Actually still uses the service. And, and, you know, think about his day, right? He's not only in places that are, you know, typically off the grid and don't have connectivity. It may have rained the night before he's walking through mud. He has sweet corn. Dave, sweet, sweet corn can be 
on any given day, three feet, five feet, or eight feet tall, right? Mm -hmm. And he's walking through this. So there can be a lot of noise problems and things, you know, around him uh, and so forth. Things we've got to, you know, factor in if we're going to solve this problem. But the essence of it, he has this choke point, um, you know, in spades, right? Wants to capture information based in a unique environment. He first tested our service uh, with the associated kind of industrial hearables, if you will, Mm -hmm. or wearable devices. Um, He had the phone in his pocket with ag boys on it, but he was able to drive the service without looking at nor touching the screen. And he came out of the field and that's a true story. I have it, I have it, I caught it unsolicited <laughs> on a video clip if you need me to prove it to you. And he came out of the field and he said, this is a thousand times better. Wow. And so, I mean, that wasn't our goal. That wasn't our number. <laughs> but the main thing is he's a really deep uh, inspector. Here's what I mean by really deep. He, and, and remember the previous way to do this job is a two person job. One goes to the field, inspects grades, literally eats the corn, verbally calls out the score. The other person with them, also a trained professional, um, writes down the information on you know, a pen pencil and paper, yeah. and one of them's gotta go back and transcribe it later in the office. And so, but the, the essence of it is they'll do, today they already do two, three, sometimes 400 inspections per day of a you know, 10 to 15 foot plot of land and, and plants. And those plants change every day. Yeah. So it's go, go, go. God, that's so cool. I mean, for me, like there's two things I want to follow up with this, but um, the first one is the hearables piece, right? Like this is uh-huh. both a voice podcast, but there's also a hearables podcast. And I think what's interesting about this is um, sort of along the same vein, you know, it's easy to sort of get pigeonholed into like AirPods, right? And this idea Mm -hmm. that everybody's walking around with AirPods, but there's a much bigger theme to this whole thing, which is what does intelligent, um, you know, in-ear devices enable? And I think this is a great example of sort of like another really cool application for these types of, of devices is that they can play host to these types of systems um, so that, you know, you can capture this type of data inputting that you are. So can you speak a little bit about um, what you guys have experimented with initially and maybe what your vision is for the ideal type of device uh, that the types of workers, and it might vary a little bit based on the type of worker, but how do you sort of envision this thing looking um, down the line? Okay. No, interesting questions. I I think why you and I originally connected a couple of years ago at a a voice industry trade show. Um, Basically, you know, with your all's expertise in, in hearables and, and, and hearing, intelligent hearing devices at Oak Tree, the um, simple version is this has been really hard. We've actually tested, we think, 22 or 23 different devices. And so far, users love about three of them. Uh, yeah. And they're not the consumer grade off the shelf things, be they, you know, AirPods or, or, or things like that. Those are great devices. They work excellent, say, in more conventional urban areas, maybe driving. But in these industrial use cases, they can be indoor or outdoor, right? Um, that, you know, there's just a, a wide you know, variety of needs. So he, here's, use the example of the favorite device that our users have, have, have uh, kind of uh, glommed onto the most. It's a very thin, light, boom microphone. Mm-hmm. It's actually originally for SWAT teams, okay. like these teams, okay? So it's, it's, you know, serious grade. It's actually wired because sometimes Bluetooth isn't the ideal thing for uh, aggressive voice ca- capture. It can be okay for, say, digital audio playback, but, mm-hmm. but the opposite's uh, more demanding. Um, and then the other piece is that particular device, it, it captures about 40 decibel of background noise. Okay. And no surprise, in some environments, that's mandatory 
to be able to do this record keeping and be consistent about it uh, for the user. So that's that's one example of devices. But I think to, to your point, basically there's a wide array of needs. Nobody just takes one device and say, that's the perfect one, that's for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at wired, wireless, you know, any different partners or innovators in this area. We actually don't make any hardware. Uh, we partner for that. We always want to test with it and, and offer them the best kind of combined solution to, uh, to our users. So. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, the other piece to this that I wanted to follow up on is, you know, like here at Oak Tree, we have this giant warehouse. And every time I work back there, I think to myself, you know, there's probably ways that you could make this way more efficient if you had um, a level of voice to it. You know, like I have, you know, we get orders here, we get about 400 orders a day. Oh, wow. and, uh, our, our process is, you know, you pick the order, you pick the different items that that, was, that order in, entailed, and then you pack it up and you ship it out. And so when you're picking the orders, you can imagine, like for me, I'm like, man, it would be really great if I had a, you know, like a voice assistant in my ear that's sort of communicating like where I need to go rather than looking down at a sheet. Um, again, it's kind of like the notion of the hands, uh, hands busy, eyes free. And what that leads me to is this idea of like, I feel as if what you're building is really just scratching the surface. Like I think that obviously you're starting with the agriculture side of things, but do you think that you have uh, a potential, you know, avenue to, to go into other types of industrial settings, warehouse workers, truck drivers, whatever it might be. It just seems like there's so many different types of professions out there that fit that mold of hands busy um, and, and, you know, they, they're preoccupied. So it would just seem like there is a lot of blue ocean beyond just the agriculture space. Uh, yeah, there's actually two pieces of that, Dave. Um, so the first piece, I just want to go back to the the origin and your insight around your own warehouse. Mm -hmm. the, the, the insight in, in that we're, you know, following under and, and, you know, I don't know, adhere to or believe in is this notion of the workers that have, have a specific, even escalating need to do this record keep simultaneously with their, mm -hmm. their day job, um, but have no way to capture this information. It's like this escalating pain. And what I found interesting was, so one of the people we're very fortunate to work with, uh, he's our chief speech advisor, and we work with his technologies as well as a gentleman named uh, uh, Jeff Adams. Jeff was formerly at Amazon, and he actually led the research and development team to bring the first Alexa to market. And so my reason for bringing that up is, you know, like we use our Alexa at home, and one day, by the way, it went down, and my wife was like, I can't live without that. And she <laughs> said that unsolicited. So, I mean, I, I bring her technology all the time, and she rejects them over and over again. But, you know, you know it's, it's very important when someone's like, don't, don't, hang on, don't take that away. Yeah. Or, or get that fixed. And so the, the insight there is the, one of the very first places that, and, and many of your listeners know this and they experience it, that Alexa really resonated with people was that in kitchen scenario, the hands are busy or tied up mm -hmm. preparing something. So they need some information or they want to add something to a shopping list. And sometimes it's even just for safety, whether they're working with knives or hot totally. dishes or ovens or things like that. And in that exact precise painful moment, Alexa comes to the rescue, if you will. It, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's a very basic thing, Dave. Sometimes it can be a timer. One of the very top 10 uses of Alexa, last I checked, you know, check a recipe, add to the shopping list and so forth. So it's that context that matters so much. So just like your warehouse, that would be a similar scenario. So in our case, yeah, we think the insight uh, to, to kind of 
I think what you were alluding to there is, uh, and we actually filed our two patents this way, by the way, they're horizontal such, or two filings such that they could go across any industrial use case. Um, we're, we, we do have our hands full, uh, no pun intended, um, with um, food and agriculture, and we love it, and we're dedicated to that. That is absolutely our anchor, basically global food production sector. Um, that said, even our existing customers have said, hey, we have an insurance wing. Can you yeah. help us track this for our reaching out to their farmers? Hey, what, give me a very specific example. One of them has their own set of 3,000 dairy trucks that are semis. These are tanker trucks, and they roll every day across the U.S. They said, hey, this is on pen and paper day. We'd love to go digital instantly. Yeah. We'd like to do it hands-free. Could that service you have there be used for that? And so you basically what I want to say is your insight's 100% correct. Yes, our platform is, is one so that it could be extended uh, potentially in the future to other places, logistics, warehouse, you know, inspections, utilities. We get a lot of requests for utilities, uh, and construction, and so forth. So, yeah, so times. cool. That's so cool. All right. So as we wrap up here, why don't you share um, what the remainder of 2020 looks like, you know, like what we can expect from Ag Voice and anything else that you want to share as it pertains to, um, you know, like where you all are going. Because I think if anybody that's listening is like me, it's like, I can't get enough. I think this is so fascinating. And I want to learn more and follow you guys and just see where you take this whole thing. So share with us what we can sort of expect from you all uh, for the remainder of 2020 and beyond. Ah, great question. So as a startup, it's focus, focus, focus. It's basically continuing to get this first product in the hands of our early customers. Uh, we've been thrilled with their response. Uh, many of them are uh, primary categories so far. Many of them are, are some of the largest uh, seed companies uh, in the world. And we're very fortunate to work with them often in their R&D groups. Then often our, 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 uh, our thinking is the, the platform and the service is it has you know utility and continues to get smarter with more and more crops and so forth, different animal terms and so forth, it they kind of extends as a natural standard to their agronomists or their veterinarians that they support. The, those are the people that support what we call producers. Producers, if you will, are farmers, ranchers, and growers around the world. That's the very, very big number we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so the simple version is we're always looking for the best partners that we can help today and that they want to solve this, but they don't want to build it on their own. We hear that totally. over and over again. Um, and some of the things actually, I mean, gosh, let's begin with the St. Louis region, right? Many people don't know, St. Louis region has uh, more than 1,000 PhDs in plant science today. So it's the largest collections, a collection of plant scientists in the world. Mm. Um, that's just the PhDs, right? And there's many, many others that are all skilled in different ways in this particular area of, of biotech. And so uh, we love getting plugged into that community. We're, we're a part of the group, actually, their investor is called Yield Lab. Uh, they and a group called uh, um, 39 North and the Danforth Plant Science Center, which yep. is the leading independent plant science research institute on the planet. Um, in addition to, of course, you're right in the middle of the heartland, right? I think last I checked, it's something like, I'm, I'm certain I'll get this wrong and I'll get in trouble, but it's like, I was number one in corn production, like Illinois is number one in soybean production, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Missouri has a vast array of, of different crops. So you're right in the heartland and in the bread basket. You already know all that. But the essence of it is there's phenomenal partnerships and people we're working with there to get deeper and, and help them, you know, support their needs. Likewise, um, not many people know, but Kansas City has the what's called Kansas City Animal Health Corridor, which 56% of the world's revenue for animal health companies is from companies just within a, a couple hundred mile radius of that kind of epicenter. So, um, but working in that ecosystem. Um, likewise, California is a massive state, actually our largest in the country. 
for agriculture in many different ways. Uh, we do some things there with kind of a virtual office in Salinas. Western Growers is the group that leads a, a fruit and vegetable production for the U.S. Uh, it's a cooperative of farmers all pulling together. Um, and then uh, in New York State, there's also, again, vast resources in the Northeast, uh, the chance to work with Cornell University, often rated as the kind of number three ag school in the world. Uh, so the essence of this is <laughs> it's partnerships. Right. Yeah. And they could be financial partners, that, but we always want to make sure we're aligned, uh, you know, and it's a good mutual partnership. Um, so whether that's, you know, investors or, or um, data partners, uh, you know, or end users, uh, we'll continue to build out our, our ecosystem of people that we can help and, and help them new, do new things in a new, a new way, voice first and, and hearables first. I love it. Well, I, I think one side note I'll say just on the topic of St. Louis, uh, you know, what's interesting is I think um, as it is with a lot of different cities, we got gutted um, after the really it had been starting midway through the 2000s, but then the financial crash, we saw a lot of different companies leave and, um, cool. you know, it was a pretty tough time, I think, for St. Louis. But what's been really cool is the city is totally going through a rebirth right now. And one of the big uh, bright spots within the city is totally the ag tech side. I mean, Monsanto and Bayer both being here, all the stuff at the Danforth Center is super cool. So, I mean, I think there's tons of other cities that can say the same thing in terms of, you know, you kind of had like the blue chip companies that were, you know, the, the huge legacy companies that have either, you know, gotten bought like AB did here and they got mm -hmm. bought by InBev and, and then, um, you know, you kind of see this rebirth. So just like a random side note there that I think is so cool about like where St. Louis is fitting in is totally becoming like this hub for ag tech. And I think that's just such a cool promising area um, that attracts a lot of really high paying jobs. So it's good for the city. No, no, I agree. I agree. And, but I want to add this, just don't miss this. It's not about the quote AI or the technology. There's a mm -hmm. lot of great talent in the world. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot more coming. That's uh, in a way been a little bit tired in the last two years, obviously. And we've had plenty of blowback too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Social privacy related things. So we're all kind of getting smarter and wiser. Like, okay, now let's get to a better state of maturity. What's a balanced yeah. relationship here? Um, so it's not just the tech. It, the, the ag and the food ecosystem you said, is, as we've discussed here, is phenomenal. It's very, very deep in the Midwest, in the heartland, as many people know. Um, and then in this case, the fun part is this new enabling technology beyond the, the smartphone, which to me is kind of like a, basically a boring computer in your pocket now. So hearables <laughs> uh, opens up a new area. So my point of that is it's the combination of things, let alone our whole connectivity discussion. Right? Totally. It's the combination of things that look pretty practical today, are generally getting more affordable, are generally starting to work together, and it enables this really new uh, array of, of use cases and, and people to benefit from in a very practical, you know, purpose-optimized way. So sounds weird, but we have great users and customers and, and we're having fun. So yeah, no, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for coming on today. Thanks for everybody who stuck around here till the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.